Hey everybody, this is John Goldman and you're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. And we have musician Chuck Prophet on the going to be uh, on the phone with us very soon. Um, Chuck's a singer-songwriter, uh, originally with a band called Green and Red up until about 1990, and uh, then joined, um, went solo, basically. And um, he's uh, coming to the Acorn Theater on, um, let's say, October 28th. I got tickets, can't wait. And uh, we're going to get him on the phone real quick. So listen in. So, uh, All right. Uh, glad to have you on the show. And like we were just saying, you know, it's really, uh, looking forward to seeing you at the acorn on the 28th. Uh, I, I'm trying to do you, have you played at the acorn before come out into this area, Southwest Michigan? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay. Well, great. And I see that you're playing at Fitzgerald's in, uh, the Chicago area earlier in that week. Another awesome venue. That's, uh, that's really a cool place. Um, you know that that's nice. So, uh, and I uh, I know that you were with the band Green on Red back in the late '80s and into uh, early '90. And uh, w- you know what prompted you going solo like that? Well, I mean, I was in Green on Red from about 1984 forward, and uh, I don't know. I think we must have made ten records or so. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, we said what we had to say. I, I was hungrier to do something a little quieter. I'd become interested in some other music. And and um, I was playing with some people here in San Francisco, including Stephanie Finch, who became my wife. Uh-huh. And, uh, we were playing, you know, we were very much inspired by a lot of British folk music, uh, you know, uh, as well as things like the basement tapes, um, you know, we, we were kind of reactionary, really. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of bands at that time were probably more influenced by the Replacements or something, you know. And uh-huh. a lot of people in our in our circles, anyway. And so, so that's what we did. And then eventually, you know, and then it just kind of made sense to document it. And that, in many ways, was what led to my first solo record. But it, it went concurrently with Green on Red for a couple of years, and sure. and then eventually, um, Green on Red just kind of folded up, and uh, and I don't know. I kept making records. I yeah, kept, people kept coming to you and asking to make more records. Well, I kept figuring out new ways to do the same old thing and uh, keep it interesting to me, at least. Yeah. Well, listen, man, you you definitely keep it interesting. Your songwriting is. Uh, it's really kind of over the top, you know. You you come at it with uh, just such flair and uh, interesting themes and interesting subjects. What inspires your music? You know, I mean, do you see things around you? Do you uh, uh, just you know where where do some of your songs come from? Well, the last few records, probably the last three records or so out of the fourteen or so records, I've done a lot of co-writing with. Um, Kurt Lipschutz and a lot of it comes from us just getting into a room together you know I mean musically I'm always looking for 
a new way a new way into things but um you know a lot of it just comes from our conversations we we rarely run out of things to talk about and um and we honor the time that we have together so we try to you know we try to get a verse of a chorus or something by the end of the day and and oftentimes we do i, I don't know where they come from you know <laughs> yeah uh, do you uh, you have situations like where you know you wake up and and you've thought of a song during your sleep or driving around and you get a melody, or is it really where you sit down and and commit yourself to okay I'm going to write some songs and is that you know and do a lot of songs come from from that kind of thing? Well, certainly they come from finishing them. You know, I mean, I I often take notes. Um, and I might find a title or something that I think is interesting or, um, you know, some music that I might find interesting. And uh, I start to just collect these things and try to find homes for them, you know. Um, Do you and Stephanie write music together, too? We have on occasion, you know, um, if there's a deadline or something going on, you know. Um, but, um, I usually just get some chords on the guitar and, um, if I can get something that sounds good, like when I repeat it, you know, then yeah. I, I'm probably on to something. And oftentimes I think I'm good at writing albums, you know, uh, as much as writing songs, I'm good at writing albums in the sense that if I can find a theme or if I tap into some new direction or something, then I just start to push it through. But I do have to sit down and do it, you know? Um, you know, you talk about dreams or, or any other inspiration. Um, I mean, that stuff's great, you know? But at a certain point, you kind of need to wrestle the whole thing to the ground. Right, you know? sit down and, and just do it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that's you know it's, it it starts out fun and you know and at a certain point it's not as much fun anymore and then and then it's fun when it's finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. There's work involved certainly. Do you um so the the latest album, the land that time. I mean, I have a hard time. To, I have a hard time talking about it. Yeah. Partly okay. Be, part, partly because I don't really like to hear other people talk about it, and I I don't know. You know. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, you're from the Bay Area, right? I've been, um, I, I grew up in Orange County, California, and oh, then my okay. family, family migrated up to uh, Northern California, to San Francisco, like my last year of high school. Oh, yeah. Well, that must have been interesting, uh, you know, being in a high school for three years and then uh, meeting, having to meet all new people. Did, were you a musician at that time? Did that make the transition easier? I was definitely a musician. I mean, I was definitely like fantasizing about being in bands and I'd been in bands since I was 12, you know, since you were 12. Um, wow. Yeah. Garage, garage bands. You sure. Know sure. I mean? Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd always kind of fantasize about it. You know, I, I wanted to play, I mean, you know, yeah. And, and, and punk rock was really exploding around me at that time. So I saw so many, uh, you know, I saw like Black Flag early on and the Dead Kennedys and uh I saw like these bands before they even had a record out, you know. Yeah. Um so that was pretty fortunate. I mean I the wind was changing direction 
and I had my kite up, you know. So that was very fortunate for me because prior to that, you know, music was really made by people that lived in castles and things. You know, I, I you know, I, I, I didn't know how it was made or yeah. how or how there was would ever be a place for me in it. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of change in the way that music has been made. Now, I mean, just with digital recordings, but with also with uh, you know the record companies having a different role in a musician's uh, productions and things like that. Uh, you know, ha- have you did you have those kinds of experiences too, or um, you know where you've now gotten a little bit more freedom in how you put an album together? Well, I. I never really had any of those. Um, I can't say I really had any of those, you know, heavy-handed A and R guys that wanted to know where the hit was. You know, where's the uh, hit? Or, uh-huh. I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, they were they were all good guys, but eventually, you know, I, I would get dropped. That's all. You know, I mean, <laughs> eventually, <laughs> eventually, it's just you know, economically didn't make sense. So uh, I can't say I experienced that kind of stuff, but. Um, a lot of people um, were there for me, and, and you know, again and again. So uh, there were a lot of people that uh, I owe a lot to in terms of, you know, people that gave me a shot or nurtured what I was doing or whatever. Yeah, know? sure. And Publishing I, deals and things like that. And, um, yeah, I right, mean, a lot right. of stuff that, that, that didn't go so great, but you never really know how it's going to go until you're in actually in bed with somebody, you know? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you can rely on a reputation, but until you're actually dealing with the person, it's hard to know how it's going to yeah, go. A lot of great, a lot, a lot of great people have bad reputations. You know, I mean, I have a reputation for being pretty difficult, you know? So I, I, I understand. I, I oftentimes get along with dif- difficult people because I know where they're coming from. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I hear you. Uh, so you were saying that you uh, started playing in bands when you were twelve. I mean, did you take music lessons? Like, and you know, how did you get interested in music at such a young age? Well, I was interested in records. You know, I didn't uh, have yeah. much, any, I didn't have any music in my household. Uh, but I had three sisters, and and uh, my my older sisters had cool records. I was definitely into records, and I grew up in an area in Orange County, where I tell people that if you shook a tree, uh, literally like five guitar players would fall out. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, right, it, was, it right. was that kind of place. So everybody played guitar. And um, and I, I did take some lessons early on. And I learned a lot. You know, I, I learned a lot over the course of a couple months. And that stuff really was really useful to me. Yeah. So there's so, a lot of people. Yeah, I was lucky in that respect, you know. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people taking guitar lessons when they're growing up, but not it doesn't all stick with everybody. You know, that's kind of my story. I, I, uh, I've taken guitar lessons and piano lessons, and but none of it ever stuck. And so when I see someone who just picks it up and is able to make whatever sounds that they're trying to make exactly how they want to make them, that's, uh, that's quite a gift. And obviously, you know, that, uh, that really worked for you. Uh, and you were able to take it to that next level. You know, uh, it's, that's also a, a typical kind of situation where, you know, you have siblings and you're, you become influenced by the kind of music that they listen to. 
and the records that they have and things like that. What were some of those early records that you listened to? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, like, you know, my, my older sister was way off into David Bowie and, you know, she went to see him and, um, uh, you know, and besides that, there was, you know, Stones records and, and um, uh, just, you know, Creedence Clearwater and just, you know, just rock and sure. roll. Mott yeah. Mot the Hoople. Oh, know, yeah. My sister had that Mott record. And uh, to this day, I still, you know, I, I, I can still listen to that record and it's still more is revealed every listen. Yeah, right. There's so many records like that. Uh, and Ian Hunter became a pretty big influence on me, really, uh, to this day. You know, he's somebody that I, I somebody that I feel I identify with on some level. Uh-huh. Uh, what about, like, Tom Petty or uh, Lou Reed? Or I mean, I can... I yeah, Lou, Lou, Lou was really big. Tom Petty, of course, was huge for everybody. It was in the air, you know. Yeah. Live, living in the Bay Area, you know, I mean... Um, Petty, uh, the Heartbreakers, this is one of the first places they got a foothold, you know? Hmm, okay. So they were on they were on the radio a lot, and that first record was, was around, and uh, yeah, and, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in the era of the Beatles or Dylan, where I, where I was around for every record as it yeah. came out, but I was definitely around, you know, every time... Petty went another direction. It was definitely in the air. You know, everybody right. picked up on it. Yeah. And, and also, like, the thing about Tom Petty is, like, somebody like Dylan was almost, he was almost untouchable, you know? That's right. Whereas, whereas Petty seemed like one of us, you know? He seemed like a fan. Yeah. Um, and he had a, um, uh, he just seemed like. He was approachable. They seem like everyday people. Yeah, know? yeah, and and you're and right. The music I, they made, and the music they made was, was um. It seemed doable. Right. In, he, in the same way that in the same way that punk rock erased the state, erased the line. What Alejandro Escovedo loves to say is that punk rock erased the line between the stage and the audience. Yes, that's and, a great and, line. And, and and Petty kind of erased the line because you could you know you, you could see what he was doing. The songs were not difficult to play. Of course, that last little extra one percent up there, you know, nobody knows what that is. That that's that's magic. Yeah. I don't think Petty, I don't think Petty himself knew what it was. Right. You know? Right. That that's. And of course, of course, you know, I'm not I'm not putting myself next to him, but. Um, you know, you could see where he was drawing from, that, that he was a fan, and, and and you could hear the influence of the birds and, and Dylan and all these things, you know. So so he seemed like he seemed like our guy in many ways. Yeah. He, oh, can you imagine Tom Petty, you know, finally getting to play with George Harrison, Bob Dylan, you know, and they do that Traveling Wilburys thing. That must have been such well, a pleasure. Well, I, I, I mean, I saw the Heartbreakers backing Dylan, you know. Oh, that, right. That's right. He did it too early. And, uh, and as Bob Dylan says in Chronicles, uh, he felt the Heartbreakers were at the top of their game, and he he thought he was at the bottom of his game, you know, which which I would argue with, uh, but <laughs> but that's what he said, you know. So that sounds like a real Bob Dylan thing, yeah. That's uh, yeah, Bob Dylan I mean, I think, holds I think it real Bob close. Dylan, I, I think the the. The trope is that Bob Dylan bottomed out in the '80s and you know hit 40 and you know wasn't relevant and was searching and 
trying things and you know one of those things was playing with the heartbreakers one of them was playing with the dead one of them Mm -hmm. was getting the same guy that produced madonna to you know working with uh new york disco producer all these things that people find difficult uh for dylan in the 80s and uh, at a certain point even dylan's got along with it yeah Uh, dylan is just such an enigma because he comes from a place where it's like he's uh he doesn't he doesn't seem to really get together with uh, all these other things and and yet he does and people still hold him up on a pedestal and uh and then you know you go to a show today and if he does play you know like tangled up in blue you can't even understand what he's saying he's like mimicking his own self he's like mocking his own his own prior uh, songs. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. You know, I wouldn't say he's mimicking or mocking anything. I mean, I would say that the songs are alive and breathing, and and he's still taking them places. And yeah, it's difficult if if you don't keep up with them. It, it could be a little bit like, you know, hieroglyphics or something. Um, but if you keep up with them, you know, he's 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 in his cutest phase. You know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I don't mean to be insulting of Bob Dylan. I mean, he's one well, no, of the greatest. Lot, lot he's one of my are, favorites. A lot of people walk away from the shows like that. I've, I've heard all that stuff, you know? Right, right. People get mad that he, you know, doesn't play his songs right and stuff. And that doesn't stop me from going to see Bob Dylan. But uh, that was sort of my take on it. Like, you know, he, you know, he plays his newest stuff. Uh, that's part of his, you know, when he tours, he's going to play his latest album and it's all going to sound, you know, perfect. But when he digs back for some of the old stuff, it's almost unrecognizable. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, you really have to struggle to even understand. You have to really be listening to the words in order to even try to guess what song he's playing. But you're right. It's a reimagination. It's a reimagination based on his current circumstances. And, and, uh, you know, he, he isn't the kind of guy who's going to sit back and just rely on his fame, his prior fame and, and, uh, just play it exactly how people want to hear it. So you, I definitely give him a ton of credit for all that. Um, and I, you know, I certainly don't mean any, any, uh, anything. No, bad it's all, no, no. I mean, I mean, the ironic thing about what you're saying is, I mean, you're not alone. You're hardly alone, you know, but it's, it's the, the ironic thing is that, you know, you, can, you know, for a guy that can't sing, can't play, <laughs> um, you know, to people's satisfaction, he is still, you know, hands down the most bootlegged artist of all time. So you've got a guy that, you know, can't sing, can't play, is a shadow of his former self, yet, you know, people cannot get enough. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I don't know how many people you can say that about. Grateful Dead, maybe. I yeah, mean, I mean, they're, they're I in a whole different I chapter. The, I suppose the Dead were something like that, you know, and that that uh, no two Dead shows were alive. Yeah, I mean, even today they're not the Grateful Dead, but they are uh, doing the same old thing in a different way, and it's uh, you know they're they're loving it, their fans are loving it. And, uh, you know, I guess that's another kind of example. Uh, but you're yeah, right. Well, I mean, I, they definitely, they definitely, they definitely, the dead have continued to challenge people and, and they're up for it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> they're up, they're up for the challenge. 
Well, each song, each doubt song is just a framework. You know, it's all about what happens in that, at that show, in that, in that rendition of the song. You know, no two versions are going to be exactly like by any means. And, and they strive to make it, you know, completely um, in the moment. You know, how, how yeah. they're interacting that day and, and that kind of thing. And then with the addition of, you know, Jeff Schimenti and, and uh, um, John Mayer, you know, just bring a different aspect to it while still respecting the old songs. And Bob Ware's not even the same musician that he was when Jerry was around. He, he kind of adopted that that uh, older statesman role that Jerry had. I could talk about the dead for a while. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I they're from San Francisco. <laughs> I think a, a lot of times what Bob's done is he, you know, he, he hasn't really played with a second guitar player since Jerry. Um, Bob's kind of avoided playing with other guitar players and um, and it enables him to, to do what he's done and also incorporate a little bit of the Jerry that he probably hears in his head. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you were talking about Tom Petty before. Such a tragedy, you know? Like he was not done by any means and and uh, just, you know, his his songs were just so... Uh, just pulled you in, you know, it was like a, a comfortable briefcase or a big comfortable coat, you know, he just kind of um, created these tunes that, that, uh, uh, you know, really were um, instant classics in a way, but also just warm and, and uh, comfortable. I think a lot of your songs are like that, I got to say. Well, that's, I guess that's, that's the idea. I mean, the idea is to, you know, be engaging, like, you know, give somebody something to hold on to. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I think um, you're not just coming to Fitzgerald's and uh, and the Acorn and Three Oaks, but you're doing a whole tour now, right? Yeah, I believe we've got about a month's worth of dates. I haven't studied it very hard. I'm, 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 afraid, <laughs> no. I'm afraid to. It's not a test, Chuck. You don't worry about no, that. No, I'm just. I mean, I mean, we're we're a little worried about uh, COVID protocols, and we're a little worried about the safety of the fans and yeah. and the safety of, of of the group. And uh, you know, uh, I think that's something that's out there. I think that's it a sure concern. Is. And you know, there's people on both sides of that discussion. You know, some people are take the masks off and uh you know i'm offended that you're even going to ask for a vaccination card to other people that are you know kind of too scared to to go into a uh an enclosed area and, and uh be at events so it is a crazy strange time but uh, you know I, I think that it's just this sort of new normal and i know that's been overused but kind of just this you know uh, we got to kind of get used to that's what shows are going to be like. It's not, it's not just for the individual. Um, it's for the, the people sitting next to you. It's for the staff that works at a place. It's for the you know, musicians, the, you know, the, um, the people that help the musicians. Uh, it's, it's um, you know, you got to kind of, people have to just do their part. And, and as much as, you don't like uh, the individual mandates and stuff like that. I, I just don't see any other way that everyone's going to be able to enjoy live music 
without a little bit of sacrifice like this. Well, I, I don't mean to get political, we're, we're, but well, know. well, I mean, we're asking that people show proof of vaccination, you know, and uh, or a negative test uh, because um, you know because we care. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the trouble is, I mean, the science is even if it's not changing, there's so much disinformation out there. It's hard to know like what, what it really is. So, I mean, I don't blame people for getting upset, but it's uh, sometimes you just got to be like, okay, well, this is, well, I I think there was a little, you know, I think that people had a pretty good case when, you know, if we were in a place where the vaccine was available, but the FDA hadn't approved it, that's a little bit of a conflict. It's like, hey, my own, you know, government doesn't approve it yet. You're telling me I have to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it's since been approved, you know, and and all the the trials, the tests, and everything. And so um, that's just the way I feel. I mean, yeah. If people don't want to get vaccinated, or if they want to go see, you know, they can go see Ted Nugent or Charlie Daniels or you know, there's or Kid Rock and. <laughs> or stay home and watch it on TV. Yeah, sure. Have you, uh, during COVID, did you do any kind of, um, you know, online streaming stuff or um, what were you doing? What what did you do with your time? Did you do any writing? Well, we, we did, um, I did a lot of playing. I did, a, you know, I've been on the road so much uh, that it was kind of interesting to hit the pause button. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I slowed down, you know, I did a lot of cooking and, but I was playing guitar, you know, played a fair amount of guitar and, um, it was a positive time in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did a lot of cooking. Yeah. I, I, uh, me too. <laughs> I learned to cook sort of just by having yeah. to do it. Well, just by slowing down, yeah. you know, uh, was kind of a gift in, in some ways. So, I mean, I worry about. And I also did a lot of, rather than writing, I mean, I did a lot of kind of observing, you know, there was just mm-hmm. a lot, to, there was a lot to take in. Yeah. So I, I took in a lot, you know, and God knows, you know, where that'll, you know, how that'll come back out. But, um, you know, I mean, I'm more concerned with the whole ecosystem. I wasn't really looking for, you know, a handout for, oh, musicians, you got to, got to help the musicians. I mean, you got to help everybody, you know, the bartenders and the sound men, the doormen and the whole ecosystem that I'm a part of, uh, with live music and traveling and, and, uh, you know, keeping my band busy and, uh, right. keeping them gainfully employed and, uh, you know, to some, to, to, to whatever extent, you know, uh, so I, I worry about the bigger picture, um, less than I was, you know, out there, panhandling on the internet you know yeah yeah who do you uh tour with uh i know you're with your wife Um, well yeah stephanie finch stephanie um on keyboards and vocals and vicente rodriguez from san antonio is on drums kevin t white plays bass and uh, james depredo is on guitar second guitar and uh yeah that's the mission express awesome how long have you been with these guys i mean i know stephanie you've been playing together Probably since well, the I mean, 90s. once we got once we got Vicente about five years ago, it's it's really uh, maybe more than five years ago, like maybe six or seven years ago. It's really uh, um, 
it's really clicked. So, you know, yeah, six or seven years, I think. And uh, so did, you know, during this time when uh, everyone had to stay home, did you at least get together with these guys or was there a period where? Not really. Not really. I mean, we weren't really comfortable. I mean, we, we played five shows in August um, and we tested each other. We tested the band before each show and we tested the staff of the venue. And, uh, you know, we've been pretty careful. Yeah. Is that something that, like, the record company required or the venue required, or did you guys kind of create your own? No, 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 we created that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. No, we, we, just, we decided that that would be the best thing for everybody, for the fans. And, and um, you know, we were out in front of that, actually. I think we did it. Uh, there wasn't much of a precedent when we did it in August. People just didn't even know. Like, they didn't know how to deal with it, probably. Uh, that, no, yeah. no, they, they, they didn't know how we going to, you know, how we going to check everybody and, um, well, we did it, Yeah, you know, and, and everything, everything went pretty smooth. So, uh, I guess there were, there were a few people that may not have been thrilled about that, but you know, they could get a refund. Right. Right. Uh, did you do, um, have you been doing any significant touring you know in 2021 i know you're on a little break now but uh uh no this no, is... will be our this will be our first time out and uh oh okay you know um i think that chicago show is like the first or second show oh yeah and uh, yeah i was talking about that fitzgerald's place that place has been around for a long time and they get great bands there it's a it's a really fun venue and the Acorn Theater too. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Acorn Theater, but I'm uh, thrilled. Yeah, no, we're we're really pleased to be playing more in Michigan. Yeah, uh, Iggy Pop. He's from Michigan. He's from Ann Arbor. There's uh, he's from he's from Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti, that's right. Which is yeah. kind of like just outside of Ann Arbor, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and Bob Seger's a Michigan guy. Um, sure, but uh, yeah, it's statewide. You know, we're in Southwest Michigan and. It's a little, it's like, I mean, it definitely has its own, uh, vibe here, but you know, it, it really is a, um, almost on the outskirts of the Chicago area. It's, uh, it's only like an hour away. So it, uh, has, you know, the big city real close by, but, uh, it's a real getaway and, um, just a beautiful area. Lake is right here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I know, I'm looking at um, some of the, the research I did before talking to you, and uh, I know that you had written that song with uh, um, uh, Alejandro Escovedo. Uh, have you done much work with him since then? That was like 2007, 2008, I want to say. I think we wrote a good part of like three albums together. Oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. So a significant amount of, of body of work with him. Yeah. Yeah, we're just two guys that, that, you know, get in a room together. We've always had the ability to to um, find our way into a song. Yeah. I don't... It's, you know, it's a special thing when you find somebody you can do that with. Are there other uh, musicians that you play with? I mean, besides your band and stuff, I mean, other other musicians that you'll typically play with or open for or um, get opportunities to uh, work with? 
Well, I mean, I've done sessions here and there, and you know, I have friends like Kim Ritchie, I've written oh, with yeah. and played with over the years, and Kelly Willis, and um, you know, when I'm lucky enough to get called for a session or something, sure. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you know you've you've got a real big body of your own songs that you've written, but you've also worked with a lot of other people on writing songs. Uh, how did, how does that evolve? I mean, you know, do you have a manager or agent and says, Hey, we really want to have you try to work with this guy. I mean, how do, how do well, those kinds that, of that, collaborations mean, people work? Can't, well, that can happen, but I mean, it generally happens better when people are just fans of each other. Right. Know? Gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, the blind dates can also, work i mean when i was younger i had a publisher that sent me on some blind dates and you know you, <laughs> I, I spent some time in nashville actually you know doing a lot of co-writing and you know i might not have anything much i might not think i have much of anything in common with the person but ultimately they're professional and and i try to be professional so you know you, you'd be surprised yeah some sometimes it, it really can work do you uh, uh, do a lot of playing overseas? Have you gone on any overseas tours recently? Not recently, but I've probably played over there fifty times, and you know, I mean, or more. I don't yeah. Know. Do you uh, do you find that you know you've got fans in a particular country or a particular city? Well, I mean, my early records were on British labels, and we pretty much toured England exclusively, as well as the European continent, and we were kind of slow to play you know, a lot in North America, you know, I just didn't have the infrastructure or whatever you want to call it. So, uh, it wasn't really until about 2002 when I changed labels to new West records and I had a song on the radio and Lucinda Williams really championed what we were doing at the time. And she took us out on tour. We kind of started building something in America uh, but in the early days, it was all about Europe. Oh, okay. So that's kind of this connection to your British invasion, country, Americana. Um, you know, I mean, it's so hard to put a, a genre label on any musician. But, um, you know, I'm kind of quoting from your um, your press stuff. Uh, that that makes sense. I mean, you were playing with this British band. Uh, were, no, I wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't playing with a British okay. um, no, no, no. I, we toured over there. You know. That's, okay. We 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 were we were on British labels and we toured over there a lot because that's where we played. You know, and we didn't have great distribution here or a supportive label, and so you know we didn't play as much in the states. I mean, we might go to Austin and play. We might go down to L.A. and play, but we didn't. You know, yeah. It was it wasn't until about two thousand and two that we started doing that. Oh, gotcha. Okay, uh, we're. Um... You know, how does a, an American band get that kind of exposure to England uh, without, you know, really having that same kind of um, uh, following in America? I mean, I know that Jimi Hendrix, I mean, this is, you know, bef before you started playing uh, uh, professionally, but, you know. Well, his... I, was I, I, I was signed to a British label, you know. Uh -huh. they, they, they gave me the money to make a record. And it was, a, you know, they, they were not, you know, there was a low budget record. And so the record came out and it got written about in the British press, the enemy, the melody maker, sounds magazine, and, uh, you know, uncut and mojo and all those kinds of things. And then, uh, you know, 
the next question was, can we get some tour dates? Oh, we got some tour dates, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, we would go over there and play, and um, and and we we kind of built an audience. Is what uh, happened. Uh-huh. Yeah. Over t- over the records and over time, and uh, you know, we might play bigger shows in London or in Manchester or some bigger markets, but we also played a lot of pubs uh, in, you know, places like Winchester and Sheffield and, uh, you know, up, up north. Um, a lot of show, a lot of pub gigs, a lot of shows. And that was really what we did, you know? Yeah. And in, and in the early, and in the early days we would do in stores at all the towers records and all the Virgin records. And, and we just kind of did it through through that just through the hand-to-hand combat you know but but people started coming to the shows people started coming back to the shows you know and we built a little bit of a what people used to call a cult following i guess mm-hmm. yeah seems to me that uh you know the newer um uh, economy of music it, well it used to be you know you'd uh, uh make an album and then you tour to promote the album, and the you know the bulk of um, uh, revenue came from album sales. And now it seems very much that uh, uh, you you make an album to get people to come out and and see your uh, see you live. That the live shows are really uh, the revenue generators and the merchandise and that kind of thing is uh, well. I don't, I mean, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm really not the person to talk to about that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about that. And it's often it's people that aren't really even in business, you know? Sure. Yeah. I got you. Um, I mean, yeah, I suppose that that's, you know, you don't um, think about it. You're, you're just making music and, uh, and enjoying the ride. No, I mean, I still I, I make I, I make records because I don't make records for people to come to my shows. I make oh, records. Oh, and I I didn't I mean make like records that. Because, yeah. Well, no, I mean I, I mean I've heard people say that. You yeah, know, I make records because I'm trying to paint my masterpiece, as as Bob Dylan said. I'm making that's why I make yeah. records, you know. And, and and maybe if I can paint my masterpiece, it'll make sense of my life and all the stupid stupid stuff I've done and all the foolishness. And or maybe it won't. I, I don't know. And, and, if it, and if that's a lie, I tell myself, well, that's OK. There's probably worse lies to tell yourself. And, and so that's you know, I make records because I'm trying to get it right. You can't help yourself. You're making records because you can't help yourself. That's what you yeah. do. That's that's where you you get it out. That's beautiful. And I do love that song, When I Paint My Masterpiece, that Bob Dylan song. It's just, well, that kind of says it all. Yeah, it sure does. Because he says he says. Someday, everything's going to be different yes. when I paint my masterpiece. And yeah. that's kind of the way I've lived my life. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not sitting here, you know, count, counting up the nickels and dimes of merchandise or whatever. No. I think everything's going to, I think everything's going to change, you know, as soon as I make the right record. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you also are the kind of guy that seems to really be comfortable in in your exact spot that you're in and uh really enjoying the ride not just waiting for something to happen oh well absolutely i mean i mean yeah i mean we're doing it we're i'm, I'm doing it today yeah 
you know, I mean, yeah, before, before you called, I was playing guitar, <laughs> I was, yeah. you know, playing, playing with something. And I guess that's, that's, you know, a happy place to be. Beautiful. So, um, you know, it's always kind of, uh, interesting how a particular song that, that you wrote becomes like a popular song. And, uh, have you, you know, and, and you can see like on Spotify, you know, which ones have the most views and, and, uh, listens to and stuff like that. Did you imagine like some of these songs that, um, you know, are, are maybe a little bit more well-known, uh, did you imagine that those were going to be the ones that, uh, hit it? Or did you have other ones that you thought were going to be great? Every record I make, there's always one song that I think is amazing. And, and I think as soon as everybody hears it, they're going to freak out. And then, you know, inevitably nobody ever mentions that song. Well, I want to play but one of those. I, I mean, I, I mean, I had hints. I mean, I mean, when I, when I was record, I recorded a little demo of summertime thing and it, it had that beat. I programmed a little primitive drum machine and it had that beat and we were in the studio and I could tell that everybody was wagging their tails, you know? Right. I could tell that there was something about it um, that had that kind of, um, I, I don't know what the word is, that kind of magic that make, you know, the, the, it had feel. Um so I knew it, you know, and, and, and I, I also thought that when I wrote that song, No Other Love, I mean, I didn't think much of it, but when I recorded it, it was very difficult to record because I, I just couldn't get it. So I ended up taking the demo and overdubbing, um, you know, strings on it. And it became this song that I, I thought it really had something. And then eventually it got into a movie and because of that movie, it got a lot of attention, and then other people recorded it. And so, I mean, would I would I have ever known that? I don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it had something for sure. Otherwise, I wouldn't have recorded it. Right, right. Each one of them, you probably had a, um, you know, you had an attraction to. You had. Yeah, they had to stand. At some point, they had to stand up for themselves. Right. Anyone, are there any songs out there that you're kind of like, oh, I'm surprised people got such a positive reaction out of that one? You mean my own song? Yeah, yeah, where, where you know, no, it was I, like I, personal I, 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 song. I don't, wanna, I don't want to pour them out anything. You know? Oh, yeah, okay. Right. It's not going to do me any good. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you know. Sure, Forgot we're on the radio. <laughs> there's, been, there's been records where, you know, I, I feel like I got about halfway there. And, um and other records that, you know, I, I don't know, that connected with people for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, listen, man. I, very, such a pleasure to talk with you. I'm, I'm gonna um, uh, look forward to seeing you. What is like three weeks at uh, the Acorn Theater? Unfortunately, I'm not gonna make it to Chicago for the Fitzgerald show. But uh, safe travels and uh, enjoy the beginning of your tour. And looking forward to seeing you there. Um, well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for uh, giving me the attention, and and uh, um, it's it's been a pleasure. Oh yeah. To you. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. You know, sometimes I'll I'll uh, listen to some music that I hadn't really listened to before, and uh, um, sometimes it takes a live show to really be like, oh, that's what's going on. You know, to really appreciate it. But I'll tell you, your songs just popped, and as soon as I heard it, it was like, wow, it just drew me in. So 
thank you. You know what? You well, know, I love it, man. That sounds great. Anyway, take care, and uh, looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Have a good one. All right, cheers, man. You too. Bye. Well, that was Chuck Prophet, and he's coming to the Acorn Theater with his band and his wife, Jennifer Finch, Stephanie Finch, uh, on October 28th. If you don't have tickets, get them. This dude is the real deal. And uh, here's, he was talking about that song, Summertime. We're going to play that, and uh, take a listen. Here you go. Sun's burning down on the pavement. Money in the bank, I ain't gonna save it. Jenna come by, hope she makes it. Jenna coming by, I sure hope she makes it. Mm, it's a summertime thing. Summertime thing. There's a party next door that sounds like it's cooking I poked my head over the wall, took a look in Was a five-piece band, but they was really rocking Oh, looked like some kind of family reunion Hey, it's a summertime thing Got me feeling lazy Air is warm and the sky is hazy People getting down Getting crazy Can your sister come along? How could she not wanna? I put the Beach Boys on, wanna hear him and Rounder. I'll put the Beach Boys on. Summertime, baby. 
That's Chuck Prophet off of uh, his album, and it's uh, the song Summertime Thing. Uh, he was just talking about that, and uh, it gives you a little perspective if you weren't familiar with his music. He also was talking about the song No Other Love. It's uh, another big song on Spotify for him. And uh, let's play that one, too. Here we go. No other love 
All right, that was Chuck Prophet from uh, the album. That was a song, No Other Love, but it was from the album, No Other Love, which is also where Summertime Thing was from. That is a 2002 album. Um, This is his latest album from 2020, The Land That Time Forgot, and I'm going to play for you a song called Best Shirt On. So check it out. shirt on from the land that time forgot that's chuck profit's 2020 album and uh such a pleasure to get to talk to chuck profit he's playing at the acorn theater on october 28th if you don't have tickets get them now and um yeah how about that uh johnny secret stash this is john goldman and you've been listening to radio harbor country wrhc w 106.7 fm out of three oaks michigan and WRHZ 
93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan, and broadcasting from the beautiful new studios in Sawyer, Michigan, right here on Red Arrow Highway. Windows, beautiful traffic going by, nice views of trees, beautiful here. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me this week, and um, don't forget to check out Chuck Prophet at the Acorn Theater. Take care, everybody.